Do you struggle with what it means to be successful in your retirement? Trust us, you're not alone. Welcome to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Here, you'll go in-depth with Guidance Point Advisors Investment Consultants to hear stories about how retirees in Maine are navigating a successful retirement. Get insight into the inevitable challenges of aging and define what a successful retirement looks like. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. My name is Ben Smith. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Abigail Duty and Curtis Wister, the News Center and WGME 13 to my WABI. How are you guys doing today? <laughs> Good. How are you, Ben? I'm great. I'm great. Curtis, are you doing okay? Oh, yeah. Great day for a podcast. Great day for a podcast. <laughs> well, one of the things we've we've kind of been getting a nice little rhythm of shows going on here and getting experts uh, around either the state or even some of the country on different things that are impacting us as we retire, as we age. And, you know, as we're kind of looking around and seeing what others are doing, you know, it led us to there's another uh, podcast and blog out there that we just said, hey, you know, we're kind of on these parallel tracks you know, be good just to touch base and network. So that started a little bit of a networking thing for us. And we actually reached out to our guest today, who's running a a blog called Catching Health and also has a a podcast called Conversations About Aging. So she's a former health reporter on WCSH6 in Portland, Maine. Um, She's kind of spent a lot of time around the health uh, field. And in terms of kind of this this podcast and, and health, having really great conversations with folks that are that are either doing it or have done it and have some life lessons to share with us. So we wanted to have Diane Atwood on the show today and and kind of talk about her conversation about aging podcasts. So I'll bring on uh, Diane at uh, at this time today. Thank you, Diane, for coming on. Well, thank you for inviting me. I think this is going to be fun. Yeah, well, I know um, probably a little bit different from the uh, way your career has gone is you're having the microphone in front of you instead of uh, being the one <laughs> asking the question. So we're going we're gonna to flip the tables on you today. Yeah, thank you for that. Yes, I am anxious. I'm never anxious about asking questions, but now I understand. I'm yes, yes. Perspective. <laughs> well, well, Diane, one of the things, as I kind of mentioned in the intro, you know, you, you're kind of well ahead of us on this track. We've only been doing this since, uh, since really September of 2019, and you have a few years on us in terms of the blog and the podcast you're doing. So we're, we're anxious to put a little spotlight on your show is is get a little feel of, of conversations about aging, get a little feel of catching health and introduce our listeners to that because we, we want them to you know absorb as much information about this uh, from wherever it might be. So thank you for that project because that's a really tremendous project that you're undertaking. And I'd love to just kind of dig into that in a bit, but we always want to start with our guests on you, right? As Let's hear about your story, because I think the best part about podcasts is storytelling and uh, get to know you as as our guest today. Love to hear a little bit about your story about growing up and kind of your path towards uh, health and wellness writing. Well, I'm an army brat. So that means that I have no memory of any bedrooms that I ever had growing up because they changed every two or three years. But I was born in Munich, Germany, lived there until I was about two, came back to Maine, which is where my parents were from. And um, my dad got called up to go to Korea. That shows you that I have a few years on you in life, too, as well as in blogging and podcasting. But anyway, um, 
he decided to make a career of the Army after that. It offered him a lot of opportunities. And so we moved around. We went back to Germany one time. I lived in New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Virginia, and um, settled back in Maine when I was in high school because my dad was called up to go to Vietnam. And so the family, I have to say that we moved every two or three years, and my parents had another child every two or three years, too. So I, I'm the oldest of eight children. Wow, oh, that is a family. Yeah. That is a family. And we stay in touch. We Zoom. We have a Zoom call, all of us, every other Sunday. And you know, they're scattered awesome. all over so the great. country. That's, that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah that's Excellent. great. So, Diane, as, as you're kind of growing up and all over the place and, and learning kind of lots of cultural lessons and things, I'd love to hear about your path on, because I know you got into some of the healthcare field for a bit, but also in terms of uh, health reporting. Can you talk about the genesis there and kind of what your calling was to those fields? It's it, it's uh, not going to be a short, short, short story. That's okay. But I was called because I had an uncle, my favorite uncle, Uncle Al, uh, who was a, training to be a radiologist at Maine Medical Center. And when we had career day in high school, one of the representatives came from the radiology department at May Medical Center. And I thought, oh, I'd like to do that. I'd like to become an x-ray tech because if Uncle Al's doing it, it, it ought to be good. So I became an x-ray tech. And as part of our training, um, we went through radiation therapy. And I was drawn to radiation therapy. That's treating people with cancer. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I had a 10-year career as a radiation therapist treating patients and as a dosimetrist, the assistant to the physicist, cal calculating the doses of radiation. But 10 years in, I had an opportunity to, opportunity to go to college. St. Joseph's College was offering a degree program for radiologic technologists, and uh, I could not turn that opportunity down. So I worked part-time the first year, quit the second year, and uh, moved in with my grandmother, who lived in Westbrook, and um, for two years, and got my degree, and realized I didn't want to do what I was doing anymore. Instead, I traveled alone through Europe, mm -hmm. backpack, and didn't think about anything <laughs> but having a good time. And when I came back, I got a job as a research a researcher for the public interest research group through the university, PERG. And um, it was a consumer program. Because, so I instantaneously became a consumer expert. And I met some of the consumer reporters at the local television stations, interviewed them. And um, when the funds ran out for that program I was in, I thought, again, well, gee, TV, that looks like fun. Maybe I could get a job in TV. And lo and behold, I was in the right place at the right time, and I knew the right people, and I got a job as a consumer reporter at Channel 8. Okay. I had no no clue what I was doing. Absolutely <laughs> no clue. <laughs> and would never get hired today. But anyway, after a year, uh, I heard that Channel 6 was having uh, had an opening, and so I thought, well, I could walk to work if I had a job at Channel 6, so <laughs> I tried out for that job. And I got it. So I was hired as a consumer reporter and as a uh, general assignment reporter. Mm -hmm. But one day, the, uh, we got a new news director who decided that he wanted to create beats. And the first beat he wanted to create was a health beat. And it spoke to me. I mean, I could, 10 years in the field, I mm -hmm. knew the language. Sure. And uh, so I went in and lobbied for the position and got it. And uh, I grew it so that I was the health reporter for Channel 6. That's all I did was health reporting. And I loved it. I loved it. I did it for more than 20 years. But then one day I got called to do something else. 
Mercy Hospital had an opening for a manager of marketing and public relations. And I'd always loved Mercy Hospital. And going over to PR and marketing when you're a reporter is going to the dark side. But I felt like, you know, it's okay because I'm going to be telling the stories about a wonderful hospital. And it was a wonderful opportunity. And I was there for nine years. And then I got this other calling. Um, I'd always wanted to be a, a writer. And I thought, well, you know, you're getting on in years now. So if you want to ever pursue that job, I thought I'd become a freelance medical reporter. But you better do it now because before you know it, you're going to be dead. And that is actually how I make decisions these days. I ask okay. myself, if you didn't, if you don't pursue whatever's in your mind, imagine yourself on your deathbed. Would you be kicking yourself for not trying this or that? Mm, yep. So that's how I made the decision to quit my uh, well-paying job with benefits at Mercy Hospital and become a freelance writer and um, get clients to write for as a beginning. And my daughter, who was in graphic design school, said, Mama, you need a blog. And my response was, what the hell's a blog? <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. That was 11 years ago, 10 years ago. It's my 10th year anniversary doing this. Congratulations. And, um, oh, that's great. Thank you. She just said, you need a blog. It's a place where people can go and um, get samples of your writing, and it's a place for you to practice writing. So she set it up. And the first time I wrote something, it was like being a reporter again. And that's how I approach all the blog posts. I do research. I interview people. And um, I just, I loved it. I loved it. I thought, oh, my God, I can do the things I love, and no one is telling me how to do them or when to do them. So that is how it all happened, awesome. just being in the right place at the right time and recognizing an opportunity that spoke to me. Well, I'll say too is um, we're actually one of the guests we're we're interviewing going uh, in the next few episodes. She's actually um, kind of a life coach, career coach, and it sounds like one of the things she's been talking about is what you just described is hmm. it, going from it's like a career 1.0 where you're kind of saying, "Hey, uh, I'm I'm in radiology and X-ray and you know, and working in that field, going to then a career 2.0 and saying, "Well, hey, here's something at the kernel on the like the health expertise that I really enjoy." But here's a different itch that I really need to scratch and and develop and and getting into kind of the the, the reporting uh, TV area and molding that even more into the career 3.0 in terms of hey here getting to the PR marketing side of it and then even now a 4.0 you're saying hey from a writing perspective. And that's one of the things we've been hearing is, you know, retirement is obviously different to everybody mm -hmm. and retirement might not necessarily be retirement. It might just be a pivot to another career field, right? It's right. just something, it might be a different speed, might be a different slant, but that's really great how you described all that is, is kind of the segments of your life and continue to build them as you kind of get to the next thing, but they all build on each other, that this not start stops. Right. And there are lessons to be learned. For instance, when I wanted to pursue the job at Mercy Hospital, I, on some level, didn't think I qualified for the position. And so I went to a trusted friend, and he helped me to put together my resume, but he also showed me how you have transferable skills. That's right. I told him, I, I don't know how to do PR. You know, I threw, I throw press releases in the... No, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> I know what a good press release is, but I don't yes, know how to do exactly. PR. And he, and I don't know how to market, you know, like I said, that's the dark side. And he said, of course, you know how to do that. that that's what you do. You market yourself, you market your stories, mm -hmm. you do PR on yourself and your stories every single day. You just mm -hmm. don't realize you're doing it. 
So that was a really important lesson to realize my worth and you know what I brought to the table that I didn't think I really had. That's so. great. And, and I'll say, mm-hmm. Diane, too, in terms of obviously you're getting into writing in terms of that blog 10 years ago. And one of the things that I think trip people up is now you have so much freedom, right? So you don't have te- someone telling you, well, here, you're going to be a beat reporter on health, and this is what we're going to do. And it's now it's all you, right? Is in mm-hmm. terms of, hey, I'm going to create a blog, I want to write about health. How did you kind of come up with the theme, right? And I because I think that's something where if you're writing a blog, and you're trying to string things together, and I know we'll get to the podcast here in a second. But getting to this theming of what can I write about continually that really has legs? It's not like a four-part series and I'm done and then I don't know where to go next. How did that kind of come about and how did you kind of come up with this Catching Health uh, as, a, as a title? Well, I'll, come with, uh, I'll start with the title. It was my daughter mm-hmm. who built the blog who came up with the name. Okay. Very creative. And um, she said, how about Catching Health? People catch diseases. Why can't mm-hmm. they catch health? And I, I like went, that. bingo. I yeah, like I, it. I loved it. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's how the name came up. And it was easy to decide what the theme was. The theme was what I know best. And I could cast a wide net because, you know, everything that we do or say in, affects our health, mental health, mm-hmm. physical health, spiritual health. Mm-hmm. And um, so, and I was used to having to come up with story ideas. As a reporter, everything can be a story. Mm-hmm everything. And you just have to stop and think about, how could I turn that into a story? And I also do research to find out what's relevant these days. What are people asking about? Um, I have kind of skewed more toward aging topics as I have aged. So maybe I've narrowed the field a little bit. But in talking about aging topics, when you're writing or talking about aging topics, you do have to take the whole age spectrum into consideration. We have wisdom that we can share with younger people. So I'm never at a loss for topics. And I ask people, and people solicit all the time. They, they recommend ideas. Well, and I'll say to you, Diana, is one of the things that I, I guess we've gotten out of this is we're saying, hey, of course, as we've talked about, as we do financial planning for people, every time we kind of get into a new topic, we go, man, we, we really don't know much about that topic. And getting to these, uh, you as experts and all these different shows we're doing and these blogs we're doing, you go, man, I have to research to really even some of the purpose is to educate others, but to educate others, you really have to educate yourself. Oh, you do. You cannot do a good interview unless you know what you're talking about. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think that's for us too is, you know, seeing what you're doing is, look, we know what we effort we put into this to really make a good product, not only just for people to see and hear, but also is, you know, there's a selfish component to this of, hey, I'm really kind of interested in this is, hey, fast forward myself, uh, a, you know, a, a number of years and go, what am I facing or what what sort of things are people seeing? And, you know, listen to that versus, well, I'm just going to, you know, I think a lot of people presume or they put out this image that they're the all knowing expert mm-hmm. and nobody is. And I think that's where we are is, you know, again, I I kind of want to create similarities between these shows because I just know how much work it takes to do this and to find. And and as you're saying, you're getting solicited to come on the show and and such. It's it's still work, right? Is that there's still a level of component of research, you know, thinking about how does this theme together? What sort of questions? And that sometimes with as you know, you're the interviewer, as you know, is sometimes from a guest perspective, it's tough, tough to keep this line of thinking going in a conversation that continues to flow in productive ways because sometimes it can go 
sideways left or right. So that's a skill too that we've had to learn, which I'm sure you just have have done your whole life, which is probably a little bit easier for you. Seems like my whole life. But I remember when I first started reporting, for instance, I was wooden. I still have some of those first tapes. Hello, I am Diane Atwood, and I'm going to tell you about frozen pipes. <laughs> so I was like <laughs> little Barbie doll. <laughs> and I was, I, I am actually a shy person. And so I would sit in front of the telephone, for instance, rehearsing what I was going to say to people. And all I was going to say is, hi, Anne, I'm doing a story about such and such. May I interview you? But it was really, really hard for me to approach people, even on the telephone. Mm. And I, so my ability to ask questions, uh, to ask questions that are none of my business, sort of learned. Mm. I learned it along the way. And um, so now I'm, I may feel anxious, but I'm generally not afraid. So, Diane, I want to ask about, obviously, so you go from, hey, I'm a writer, right? And I'm doing Catching Health and I'm writing these blogs. Can you talk about the genesis of the podcast, this conversations about aging? So obviously, you have a writing component and you have a blog for every episode you're doing on the podcast. So you, you still are doing the writing piece, but it seems like there's a melding now of, hey, you're using this, your reporting skills that you you have and, you know, listening to your shows, your show is just structured differently than this show. We, we just kind of have a, have a running conversation in ours, which is just mildly edited here or there. Yours is, hey, here's here's some really, here's the question, here's the theme, here's the answer. Then you can give like a a bridge to the next question of, well, then we, we had this conversation. Can you talk a little bit about that genesis of a podcast and how you kind of came up with format and and about kind of uh, what you're what you're accomplishing there. Well, first of all, I need to explain that conversations about aging is actually a special project. So when I started the podcast, the podcast is the Catching Health podcast, gotcha. and I started off just interviewing so-called experts on various topics, kind of like what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> and um, I was doing it at first um, on Skype. And because I was interviewing people around the world on just various health related topics, I've done stories, um, I've done interviews with people about procrastination, about gratitude, about various diseases, about mental health issues. And my format for those was more formal. I would have things real tightly scripted out um, mm-hmm. and I would do a lot of research. And I did that for about a year. I'm thinking I started that in 2016, 2017. Did it for about a year, and then I took a break and didn't know if I was going to continue with it or not. But I attended a conference on loneliness, and uh, as I was sitting there toward the end, I kept thinking, wow, I had no idea that it was such a, a huge problem. I wonder if there's something that I could do about it. And suddenly a little light went off and went on in my head, and I realized, wait a minute, maybe you could start up the podcast again and you could find older people to interview and you'll go to them in their homes and talk to them face to face. So you would have a personal connection with them. And maybe for an hour or so, you might help that person not feel lonely. And then you could share their story and other people could hear it. And so that is the genesis of the Conversations About Aging Project. And I just reached out to a ton of agencies, aging agencies in the state, and that's how I started with people to interview. I tapped some of my aging friends, and uh, and again, I am never at a loss for finding somebody who's willing to talk. 
And with those conversations about aging, it truly is more of a conversation. Mm. I may, I have some stock questions that I like to ask, but I'm truly just wanting to have a conversation with people to find out what their lives were like, just like what you were doing with me. What was it like for you growing up? A lot of the people I interviewed are veterans. Um, they have incredible stories to tell and they want to tell them. Mm. And uh, so we segue from talking about their life history into what their lives are like right now as they're aging. How do people treat them? Are they lonely? What makes it a good day for you? Things like that. And I guess what I want to ask is around that right now is, are you finding that you're you're seeing themes as you're kind of interviewing people? Because I, I know one of the stories that you shared on your blogs is, and I, I want to highlight that, is it feels like what we have access to technology now, maybe what we're in the beginning of is what you're you're doing now is capturing the, everyone's stories. You know, you almost, if you fast forward 100 years and you could say, I listen to Diane and I'm Diane's uh, great grandchild, and I could hear Diane a hundred years ago talk about her life, what was important to her, what the challenges she faced. It feels like you now, you know, looking back in genealogy, if we knew that of of our ancestors a hundred years ago or two hundred years ago, how much richer our lives would be in terms of having these shared lessons and throughputs from families. That yeah. I, it feels like that's that's a theme that I know we're not there yet. But being able to tell stories and and, I, and one of the things that you highlighted on a blog was you had a family that was saying, hey, I you captured my dad uh, really well. And, and I think he had passed at that point. Yeah, I can't remember which one you're talking about. Though. But but yeah, there, but there's, you know, in terms of having a family surrounding this story and saying, hey, that was really great to hear them talk about their life and what their challenges were. And we were able to celebrate them a little bit more. And this is a show that we've been sharing all across our family. We didn't even know we, he did it. Oh, yes. Okay. I know which story you're talking about now. And I was actually going to bring that up. It, it's interesting about the family interaction. I usually work directly with the person I'm interviewing. And I leave it up to them to decide if they're going to share it with their family or not. Sometimes it's the family members. A son or daughter will get in touch with me and say, you have got to interview my mom or dad. I had one woman who did that. Her her dad is in his 90s, and she asked if she could sit in. And I let her sit in, but I had to ask her politely to stop interrupting because she'd be in the background and she'd be saying, oh, my God, Dad, you never told us that. You did that? Oh, my God, I never heard that story. <laughs> that was kind of fun. But other times, the person I interview doesn't even bother to tell their kids. And that happened with one guy, Bill. And I found out because his son, Bill Jr., who lives in Texas, sent me an email. And he said, we just found out that you did an interview with our dad. Our sister was researching genealogy and Googled his name and up popped this podcast. And we've all listened to it. The grandkids, there was one thing just really hit him hard. And it was when I asked his dad if he was ever lonely. Now, the dad had just moved into an assisted living facility, and the, yep. and the dad was very social. Went to all the activities. He's still alive, but with COVID, they're not doing things like he was. Mm -hmm. But he's very social, um, hanging out with people, going, getting in activities. When I asked him if he was lonely, he said, I am. I am. I'm active, but I miss my kids. And his mm -hmm. kids are scattered around the country. But when he lived home alone, there was room for them to stay when they would come to visit. 
and they would just show up and they'd inhabit the house. And it's not possible to do that living mm. in an assisted living facility. Mm. So the son didn't realize that his dad was lonely, had never even thought about that. A lot of kids, I'll call them kids, mm -hmm. think uh, they're relieved almost when the parent goes into assisted living because there now they have company. They're not alone, mm. not really looking at the whole picture and understanding that it's family that means the most. So what ended up happening is that I asked the son if he'd be willing to write an essay for the blog, and he did. It was about coping with COVID that he wove in this story about his dad, yep. and now they connect more frequently online. They mm -hmm. call him more often, and they do Zoom calls and FaceTime. So in a way, COVID has been a blessing in those regards. Sure. But So just to kind of keep on the loneliness thing, because it's pretty prevalent in Maine, right? We have long winters. We have a pretty rural population, an aging population um, also. So can you share with us why aging and loneliness seem to go hand in hand? And then secondly, what have you heard for advice about how to cope with that loneliness or how to reduce those feelings of loneliness? Well, we could do a podcast interview with me. <laughs> I think for the most part, older people are, around the country are living longer. They are leading healthier lifestyles. Mm -hmm. They're active. But they might have some other issues, you know, like they might have health issues or other mm -hmm. issues that don't allow them to be as independent as they once were. Mm -hmm. And they don't want to ask for help. They may be proud. They don't want to bother or burden their kids. Mm -hmm. And um, they may not be aware of resources that are available in their community. Mm -hmm. Or if they are, they might not feel comfortable reaching out. And then there's the issue of loss. And I think that that's huge because you figure as you get older, you're going to experience a lot of loss. You're going mm -hmm. to lose your partner, your spouse, maybe your siblings, friends. Mm -hmm. So that social, those social connections that you had, they dwindle, they disappear. And I don't think we think about that as much. Mm -hmm. All those people and those activities that help to keep you grounded mm -hmm. and sustain you, they don't exist anymore. The other issue is how families tend to, in other cultures, all the generations live together. That's not the way it is in our culture. Mm -hmm. And kids move away. You know, So that's where the isolation comes in. And mm -hmm. families not wanting to bother with their kids. Not only rethread that. Mm -hmm. The older person doesn't want to bother the kids. They don't want to mm -hmm. be a burden. Mm -hmm. The younger kids don't even realize it because the parents put up a big front. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a, a spinning wheel almost. Yeah. Diane, in terms of outlets too, right? And I think that's something where what you're describing is, hey, we feel like we don't have somebody that we can talk to because maybe the social network that we have, those people that we could share our, our thoughts with, our fears with are, hey, I am having a health issue or I am having these and they don't feel comfortable enough to go to the doctor or whatever the piece is. What we're seeing from a technology perspective is what you just said is, hey, people are Zooming more, right? Like the Bill kind of Zooming with his family. So are you seeing that as a as kind of something that's starting right now in terms of obviously we have an aging population maybe not quite there with technology but as they are are you feel like that's going to be the bridge of some of this loneliness i do think that technology is wonderful and i think covid has given us this opportunity mm -hmm. this unexpected opportunity there are tons of programs that you can connect to happening all over the place the thing is that especially in the rural areas, 
you know, some people don't have internet connections. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They don't yeah. have internet connections. Maybe if they do, they don't have the appropriate devices. So I think that we as a society need to do a better job of connecting people because I think that that would be so wonderful. Let me just give you some examples. UNE and St. Joseph's College, for instance, have pretty robust intergenerational aging programs where they try to connect seniors and, and students. But they both have a ton of online programs now. They have coffee time. You can just have a Zoom call with other people. They have exercise classes, poetry classes, ukulele classes, tons of things. There's a library in Cape Elizabeth that's doing the same thing, and I've participated in some of them. I do a weekly meditation group. There's like about 15 of us who meet every Friday online, and a woman leads us in meditation, and we're going to do a four-hour online retreat Saturday. Wow, Um, that's great. Awesome. Awesome. Right. They have um, a wellness program, so they have therapists come in and do Zoom workshops. I'm doing one now on eco-wellness, which is basically going outside and appreciating nature, (laughs) and that will make you calm down. Mm -hmm. So I think that online is huge, and I don't think we even realize that. I even did a creative writing workshop with a writing, it's called the Writing Salon, based in San Francisco. So Diane, I want to continue, because I think along with loneliness, I think a topic that comes up with a lot of your conversations is, you know, your guests describe feelings of struggling with anxiety or depression. Is that something that you think is just a common theme with an aging population and, and kind of what goes with that? And I see you, I, I don't know if everyone will be watching the video, but I see you shaking your head no <laughs> to my question. No, I've been doing a lot of stories lately and podcast interviews about anxiety and depression because I think most of us are feeling it right now Mm, because of COVID, because of politics. I think it's rampant. I think it's rampant and it's people of all ages. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that anxiety and depression are a normal part of aging at all. Mm. I think of interviewing my mother for a story when she was alive and I asked her about feeling depressed and uh, because I thought she was. And she said, yes, I have my moments, but I know how to deal with them. So I think that by the time you get to be my age, older, you've dealt with life's and up, you've dealt with life's up and down mm. forever. Yep. And so you know how to deal with them. And so it's not a normal part of aging, but you do have people who have chronic illnesses or sure or issues that can lead to depression. Mm. You know, they might be depressed about their condition or anxious or the medication that they're on yeah. could be causing them. Sure. So in my research, I found that there are studies that show that most older adults feel satisfied with their lives, even when they've got issues, illnesses, mm-hmm. physical problems. But I think it's important for us to take into account that as we get older, there are some issues related to aging, as I said, chronic illnesses that may make us feel anxious. Mm. But we are much more resilient than people give us credit for. <laughs> well, and I think what you're saying is right is and maybe maybe in the moment itself, right? It's, it's what you're describing is, hey, it's been a really hard political year. You know, and we, we're very divisive in, in how we are feeling about one party versus the other. And, and then you get a, you know, a pandemic, which, which, um, you know, disrupts even some of the ordinary things that you're used to doing and, and just disrupting that life and having to find new rhythms and routines can, can obviously lead to feelings, right? And sometimes it might be, Hey, there's, there's positive exploration is what we talked about with Zoom or other technologies. Maybe there's some, some negative feelings that creep in because I'm more 
dropping some of my daily rituals that I really enjoy every day or people I'm used to seeing. But I want to ask another question is in your podcast, what, what I love is because we, you know, kind of these, these questions that we like to repeat and, and you ask is you ask guests really, if you could go back and change anything, would you? Which I love that question, right? That's a really yeah. great question, uh, especially as people are going, you know, you know, because I think where you go, if I'm looking forward, you you just made that point yourself of, you know, you've been making career decisions of if I'm on my deathbed and I have to look backwards, that's what's driving some of my decision making in my life. Well, you know, asking that question to your guests and saying, if you could go back and change anything, would you? I'm interested if you could share with us what are some of the best answers that you've received from that question there. You may be disappointed by the answer <laughs> because most people would say, nope, I wouldn't yeah. change a thing. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, my path is my path, right? As I'm, I am who I am because of everything I went through, positive and negative, right? Yep. They might say, and I would say this myself, I wish I had known something back mm -hmm. then. That's all but I wouldn't change anything because I wouldn't be where I am today. That's right. Yeah, and exactly. I, again, I, I love that from a, it's, it's interesting that that dichotomy of, Hey, when I'm younger, I'm fearful of that thought being something that I have regrets when I pass. But those that they kind of have, have really gone through more of the aging process looking backwards, that they really don't have that thought going backwards. It's more of a forward-looking fear is what I, I hear people say. Oh, you mean like saying, well, I probably shouldn't do that. I'm going to regret <laughs> it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and then you do it anyway because yeah. why not? And, and then you didn't regret it in the end, right? Not usually. Not usually. Yeah. Or if you're lucky, you learn something from it. Exactly. <laughs> Again, from a positive, it was... It, I'm happy or satisfied that I was able to do it, or it didn't work out, but I did learn something from it in the end, which is why I didn't regret it in the end. So again, we, we make our choices, we weigh what we think is the best thing to do at the time for us, and lots of different things. But again, kind of, a, I thought that was a really good throughput from your show. I, it's continue to stress test that with your guests and to hear what they what their their responses have been. So that that was a really kind of neat takeaway. So again, I, I want to urge people that are watching and listening to this show, go check some of those out because I think those are those are some really fun conversations to listen to and, yeah. and again learning something from lives. I did have one woman who well, I've had several people who regret not being able to do some of the things that they used to do mm -hmm. anymore. There's one woman, Lavon, she's one hundred years old when I interviewed her. And she loved to dance. And she just went on and on about how she and her husband used to go here and go there. And she said, oh, I just wish I could dance. And she said, if somebody would ask me, I'd dance in a second. <laughs> That's awesome. So sweet. Um, one of the, we're kind of shifting gears here. So we're going to talk or ask you a question about caregiving. So one of the biggest concerns that we hear is who's going to take care of me when I get older? Um, and so uh, there's a fear that the younger generation, kids, grandkids, won't step in and take care of older people when they need some help. So what are you seeing in that in that realm? And do you see families stepping in to help caregiving the older members of the family? So the most important thing that I have learned from talking to people is you need to start the conversations early and you need to keep them going because mm -hmm. things change. Mm -hmm. And it's harder, I think, to have a conversation when you're in crisis than it is back when things are okay. And um, and you can use humor. I mean, you have to have 
it depends on the relationship that you have with your your children, mm-hmm. but humor, things that can break the ice. I remember one time thinking, I was just musing, and I was driving home, and I was thinking, gee, what if my husband goes first, and I'm old and older, and um, I'm alone? What am I going to want to do? And I instantaneously realized I am not going to want to live in my house alone. I am going to need to move closer to one of my kids. <laughs> And I decided which kid it would be because I have one daughter who is married with two little kids in a very stable lifestyle. And I have another child who's single and working and it's a different lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So I immediately called the stable child. <laughs> no, I won't. She'd be, they'd be offended. I immediately called my daughter who has a family and I sure. said, honey, I need to tell you something. If dad goes before I do. I'm not going to want to live alone, and I've decided I'm going to need to be near family, and I've chosen your family. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So I just wanted to warn you that I might be a burden to you. And I said, I don't want to move in with you unless you find a new place that has a lovely mother-in-law suite, Uh, but I just would want to be near you. Mm -hmm. And um, she said, all right, all right, well, I'm glad I know that. (laughs) And then I called my other daughter to tell her my decision, and she said, thank you for the warning, Mom. And I'm glad you chose my sister. <laughs> so that it was a wonderful opportunity to acknowledge the notion that their parents are getting older. Yep. And so we do have discussions. And you have to plan. Like, you guys are planners, right? You're helping people plan their retirements. And I think that, that all of that is critical. And I feel that it's really important to share your plans with your kids. Mm-hmm. And a lot of families don't do that. And everybody's mm-hmm. surprised or they have no idea where anything is or what their wishes were. Yeah, and I think that's a thing where I don't know if it's um, it's just generational or, or some of the – there's obviously a lot of hard things that we've gone through as as a few generations, right, is going through world wars, going through Korean war, you know, things that we've experienced and we almost maybe get more insulated and kind of trained to not share things. And I think that's starting to open up more and more. But we see this uh, still d- every day. Is is not just hey, who, who am I going to live with if I need help as I'm I, I'm I'm getting older, but also this surprise of people that um, when they pass, they've really not expressed um, to anybody. Well, hey, here's my will. Here's how my assets uh, are going to get um, distributed. Anything like that. So that also can create hard feelings of. Hey, if I knew mom and dad were going to give 80% of the money to the Humane Society because they loved animals, well, I, you know, I thought that this meant something to me and I would have ex- thought that they were going to give it to me. So we just kind of talked through is, well, you know, by just communicating some of this and at least maybe expressing where you are and why you're making decisions. And mm-hmm. while it might be uncomfortable if, if they're saying, Hey, I thought you were going to do it this way versus that way is look, they are your wishes and how you want things to be done in your life. They might not like it, but at least they might respect uh, why you did it. And they got an explanation versus they read it in a piece of a legal document that was really not uh, very personalized to them and didn't feel very warm in how it was conducted as a transaction in the end. So you kind of, you see that with a lot of the state planning, but we, we always want to make sure that we're, we're expressing to our clients, hey, we got to communicate not only just with your friends, your families, you know, we talk about solo aid 
Aging has been a show we did about, hey, ha- you got to have a big network because if you don't have kids uh, to support you as you're aging, having communication with these people like, hey, maybe, we, you know, you're 20 years younger. You know, is there a way that we can you can help take care of me as I age? Things like that. But you only get there by communicating. You only get there by by having those discussions, even though they might feel uncomfortable at the time. Absolutely. I know of one family, they have three kids, and the mother decided to divvy things up unevenly. And there was one decision that she made in particular that would have been nice if she'd shared it ahead of time, Mm -hmm. because it was like a slap in the face Mm -hmm. to the kids. And one of the kids, the kid who was getting the bigger share of something, was informed, Mm -hmm. but the other two kids weren't. And that caused a lot of pain, Mm -hmm. because the kids who didn't get this equal share, we're left with feelings like, gosh, did my mother really love me? Mm. I mean, it, it, it gets to be that deep a feeling. Yeah, and sure. then you feel resentment toward the sibling that did get more. Mm. And if only the parent, I say courage in this instance, if only the parent had had the courage to sit the kids down and say, here's why I'm doing what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And like you said, maybe it still hurts, but at least there's an understanding and they feel like the mother does care about their feelings. Right. Um, it was a really sad situation. And fortunately, the, the siblings, it took a while, but had the whatever it took to realize that their relationships to each other were important. And so, and, and, and what you're expressing is validating, right? Is that, mm-hmm. you know, what's hard is once, once you pass, it's like, well, no one can ask you that question of why now, right? right. They, they really can't get that explanation from you. That opportunity is, is passed. So it's, it's all of these things of, hey, having those courage. And I, I think that's a lot of what we see from an aging perspective of, look, you, it, there's going to be some courageous conversations that, um, you know, it, if you can do it, if you can muster up that courage and really find it in yourself to sit down with these important stakeholders in your life, you know, it will help all of you probably have better outcomes because of it. And again, you can hash through it and go, well, I'm feeling this way. And, you know, I, I, or I feel I see that you're taking care of your two kids and I'm, I want to move closer to you so that maybe you could uh, help in, in, in my caregiving. And but it gives them the opportunity to say, hey, well, is there a structure we can work out where I can take care of my family requirements and take care of you together? Can we figure out that structure that works for everybody versus, you know, it's emergency situation, as you said, we have to do the best we can at the time because mom needs help. And now it's probably not the ideal situation and they're left figuring it out by themselves. So right. the more you can communicate, the earlier, the, I think the better the outcomes really are. So I think that's a really common, th- a big important theme there. And then also when you think about all these little things like passwords and where different accounts are and how do you do this or how do you do that? Um, those, those are teeny little details that are critical in the heat mm-hmm. of the moment. Yeah. Yep. And mm-hmm. so we put together a binder. I g- got the idea from somebody I interviewed. And, uh, so we put together a binder and I'm continually trying to update it. And it's interesting because I, my husband and I were doing our living wills and mm-hmm. we were describing what we wanted for funerals. And I said, um, I don't, I don't want a religious funeral. And, um, these are the songs I want. You know, I wanted it to be just so. And he, he pushed back and he said, 
I don't know if you'll use this or not, but he said, but you're going to be dead. The funeral's not about you. We should be able to do what we want. And I said, no, no, my wishes, my wishes should be followed. That's a respectful thing. So we had an argument, mm-hmm. didn't finish our living wills for two more years. Um, but when we came back to them, we had the discussion and I realized I needed to tell my daughters. Yes. Yeah. Yep. I needed to say, these are my wishes. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, yep. um, <laughs> But you're, you're right, though, is, and both sides are valid, right? Is, you mm-hmm. know, your husband's saying, well, hey, this is really a party for us to celebrate you. And then you're going, no, well, this is how I want, you know, this memorial, this memory of me to be celebrated. And again, it's, it's, but that's, that's the thing about life is there's no kind of playbook here or handbook that mm-hmm. says this is the way a funeral has to be. It's, it's, it's yours. So yeah. that, that's nice. My parents took me. I went with my parents, my sister and I went with my parents to the funeral parlor. I don't know if they call them that anymore. And they made their arrangements. It was really my father who was making his arrangements. My mother didn't really want to talk about it. And uh, until she noticed that the casket my father had picked out gave her some color options of the lining. And she said, wait a minute, does that come in baby blue? (laughs) And and uh, he said, well, as a matter of fact, and she says, okay, I'll take one of those. I'll make my plans. <laughs> so even that turned out to be a, a humorous situation when it could have been just fraught with anxiety. Sure. But their plans were made, and we didn't have to worry about it. We knew exactly what they wanted. Mm-hmm. So, Diane, I want to rotate to a, an interview you, you did with uh, Dr. Charles Garfield um, about his book, Our Wisdom Years. That interview kind of stuck out to us, you know, as – just because our show, you know, we felt it went kind of hand in hand with that book and his idea of, you know, once you get to, you know, you may be in your 70s and your 80s, but you still have, you know, 20 years of life, you know, you can still live a full life. It's not too late. So I guess my question for you is, you know, how did that impact you personally, Diane? And, you know, what are some things you took away from that conversation, you know, to impact your life, you know, not just trying to share with your listeners? Well, it came, his book came at a really good moment for me. I interviewed him, I think it was in the beginning of the summer. So COVID was here Mm -hmm. and uh, I had stopped doing the podcast. And instead of writing lengthy blog posts, I was soliciting stories from people about how they were coping. I was inviting Mm -hmm. people to write their own essays. And so I had a lot of leisure time on my hands. And I realized that it felt good. Mm-hmm. And I felt relaxed and didn't have so many responsibilities or deadlines, self-imposed deadlines, I might add. And so I, I suddenly began to think about, should I still be doing this work? What is the meaning of my life? How do I want to live the rest of my days? And then his books, his book came. Mm-hmm. And then his book came and I went through all the questions and, and I was able to ask myself some of the questions And I realized that the work that I do feeds my soul. And that's one of the things that he talks about. What is it that feeds your soul? And the work that I do feeds my soul. Mm. Talking to people, writing their stories, even doing research. I love doing that. It just, I'll repeat, it feeds my soul. He also asks question, asks you, he also has you ask yourself what brings you joy. Mm-hmm. And I made this big long list and I realized that lots of things bring me joy, but I didn't really take the time <clears throat> to appreciate it as much. And uh, so that was really helpful because it made me recognize that tiny little things, just being able to look up from your work and look out the window and see a bird at the bird feeder 
or to hear somebody laugh, that is a joyful moment. And I also learned that I needed to start meditating every single day. So, so Dr. Garfield's book and the interview was important to me because it helped me to make the decision to keep on with my work. Mm, I like that. Yeah, and I'll add to you there, Diane, is, you know, what's really, again, there's been a, obviously a lot of pain and suffering with COVID, and it's even kind of keep on coming back here. But, you know, what personally, there's a lot of time here to do some self-audits, mm. right? And just what you described of, Hey, you know, there, cause there's things out of my life now that maybe has been removed forcibly that, you know, involuntarily is something that we're not able to do. Or, you know, as you said, I was traveling to people, sitting down in their homes, having conversations. You just can't do that anymore right now. But that's something where, you know, we've done that too, is we travel to our clients a lot and we, you know, in, in Maine's a big state, right? And you travel, you know, two hours in lots of different directions to reach where your destination is. That's a lot of road time. Well, getting that time back, right? And we're, we kind of looked at this and said, you know, what, what do we love to do? And just having the ability uh, the opportunity to reach out to somebody like yourself, Diane, and say, hey, here's somebody that's really doing some really cool stuff. You know, they're having really important conversations. You know, they they are they're, they're what we hope to be mm-hmm. in terms of the, you know, these sorts of conversations, but also that they move the needle. And we don't see that you have to move the needle by 50 degrees. Maybe it's just a half a degree. But to be able to say, hey, I made a difference and, you know, there's there's a few people, if it's just one person that listened to it and said, wow, that was a really cool, like that, I rethought something of my life because of a conversation that you guys had. You know, there's monetary compensation, there's life compensation, that's just life compensation. That's just fantastic. So I think to kind of wrap up the, the show, you know, that's something that we just wanted to put a spotlight back on you, Diane, mm-hmm. is go, you know, you, you're one of the forerunners here on having these conversations out there. You're the trailblazer. We're just walking behind you. So I, we just want to also just express to our listeners, our, the people that are tuning into us is to also tune into you because, you know, you're covering a lot of the same themes. Sometimes we're, you know, we have it have a nice Venn diagram, but you're, you got a, you got your own vantage point and that's really, it's valuable. Mm-hmm. It's main based, which is something that you don't see a lot of, you know, you, you have just a lot of a wealth of knowledge and expertise that you're bringing to these questions and the research and the, the topics that you're carrying. So, at, basically at the end of it, I want to just want to say thank you for everything you're doing because well, if without, you. because of you, you, you know, we're able to do this too. Well, thank you. But the wealth of knowledge that I bring comes from the people that I interview. I'm just the vehicle. Yeah. I think that's important, right? Is we just uh, are giving people a platform and a microphone to kind of uh, tell their stories. And at the end of the day, podcasts, these mediums, as you're saying, stories are what translate, not 38% of people are this and 74 people percent of people are that. So I want to turn it over to Curtis because I know Curtis has the most important question <laughs> oh, to no. right. ask you. So let me, let me turn it over to him. So, yeah. Um, so we, we like to end every episode or every conversation with our guests with one question. So obviously you're here on the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. I just want to ask, what is your personal definition of retirement success? Well, I don't actually think of myself as retired, but I guess technically I am. (laughs) My take on this phase of my life has evolved. 
There was a time when I imagined I would work at that full-time job that I had at Mercy mm-hmm. until I hit retirement age. They'd throw me a party, and then I'd go home, and I didn't even know what I was going to do. Well, that changed. Yeah. And it changed because I paid attention to a dream that I had, and I decided to pursue it. So my definition of retirement success is to pay attention to those things that interest you and don't think of retirement as an ending, but it could be a beginning, a new phase of life in which you try something that you never thought about or had the time to do before. Mm. Or you go back and think about the things you loved doing when you were a kid. And is there a way I could keep doing them now? So, as I said before, if I'm presented with an idea, I ask myself, would you regret it if you didn't at least try that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if the answer is a resounding yes, then I find a way to do it. I love for that. instance, I'm planning to go hang gliding for my 75th birthday. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, I didn't think I would ever dare to do it, but I realized that all my life I've had dreams of flying like a bird. Not jumping out of an airplane, but flying like a bird. And that's what hang gliding is. And I happen to have a nephew who is an expert, and uh, he's agreed to do it. That's awesome. That is so cool. My over applause there. (laughs) Yeah. That's great. Check with me in two years to see if I... (laughs) No, but when I think about it, I get really excited. When I think about it, I get really excited. I've watched some of his videos, and you don't just jump and plummet. You step off. Yeah. You flap your wings. So my overarching definition of retirement success is doing something that really speaks to you. Diane, that was that. That's a really awesome answer because, and again, even the very specific example of hang gliding, that that's great. Versus the well, just do something that makes you happy. So I love it. We can't thank you enough for being on our show today. It it means a lot to just have these conversations. Again, we're we're telling the show uh, conversations about aging with Diane Atwood. So we really appreciate all your time and attention, and wish you the best with the future. Well, being on the other side of the mic wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. <laughs> it was fun. You made it easy, all, all right. of you. Thanks, it's a Diane. Pleasure. Be well. Thank you. You too. Thank you. So really excited to have uh, Diane Atwood on the show today. Again, from our end, um, kind of the pioneer of kind of what we're doing, right, is sure. is this whole kind of putting together a podcast, talking about the aging process, kind of the soft end of this. So um, again, conversations about aging with Diane. And we always like to wrap up our shows with uh, some learned lessons and some yellow highlighters to what we, we, we kind of took away from it. So I will start with Abby. And um, uh, Abby, if you want to share something that you took away from the show today. Yeah, definitely. So I think my favorite part was when she was talking about the question is, would you go back and change something that she asked to her guests on her podcast? And most of them say no. And I think that's so cool that that that's really quite universal that people, even though they feel anxiety or stress about decisions when they're making them, you know, they don't really want to go back and change anything because it got them to where they are today. So I think it's just kind of a cool thing that everyone can relate to and a good thing to hear as a younger person, right? That all of this craziness that you go through really is kind of meant to be in the end. And younger, um, which actually probably sub kind of at any point in our life, you can kind of say, hey, I, I got a lot of peace 
from that point. And I, that was I, what was interesting to me uh, reciprocating is, you know, that actually is a very peaceful mindset. I know she talked, uh, Diane talked a little bit about meditating and obviously it's about finding peace, but you hearing that really as we're getting kind of closer towards the end of life that mm. we kind of end up settling and finding that peace on our own. And when we're reviewing those decisions, like, no, you know, even though I poured over that and it was a really hard thing at the time, it all worked out in the end. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, but, or again, it didn't, but I learned something from it. So exactly. that kind of, right. kind of a, kind of a really cool thing there. Uh, Curtis, from your end, what was, uh, what was something you took away from today? Yeah. A, a piece that really stuck out to me, Ben, was, um, and it was actually a question that Abby asked about loneliness, um, and aging and, and, you know, sort of why it's prevalent or why it happens so often. And, Diane kind of referenced, you know, it's as we age our, whether it's siblings or, you know, your spouse, your partner, you know, or just social, like your friends, like as you age, naturally people pass away and that, that social circle just kind of gets smaller and smaller and then you're left by yourself. Um, and it kind of, it just kind of re reiterated a point that I think Dr. Uh, Sarah Geber shared with us back on the, our episode about solo aging and how important it is to really invest in your social circles and and not only, you know, initially, but to keep investing in, you know, in, in really keeping your connections alive so that as you age and stay alive, your your network is as well. So you, you don't find yourself, you know, just sitting in a, a living room drinking a cup of coffee by yourself. You know, it's mm -hmm. it, it was just kind of good to hear that, you know, reiterated. Yeah. And I again, I kind of really like that because, again, kind of as a state, this is something that feels like, you know, we, we can augment this a little bit with some of the pre-existing conditions of our state, right? Sure. Rural, kind of some weather issues that are happening, um, service centers, which we might not be close to, our friends that might move away, right? And we, we've mm -hmm. had a couple episodes about moving away yeah. ourselves. So, you know, is being able to find friends and be able to kind of connect with them on mutual interests and things like that. I think that's a really important thing to put effort in. And, and Diane is saying herself, she's an introvert. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and you can kind of almost see this from her perspective of, Hey, she's investing in, uh, you know, even though maybe not everybody is her friend here, but she's investing in a social network, even by doing this activity of putting a microphone in other people and asking them questions. So again, you kind of see, and I'm, I'm presuming, I don't know that that's actually the case, but that's a byproduct of some of the, of the things that she's doing there. Sure. Uh, with myself, I, I know, Curtis, you asked a question about the episode of Dr. Charles Garfield and his book on our wisdom years that she did that interview. Yeah. Can I really like this whole idea of that it's never too late to start, mm -hmm. right? That you could be 80 years old and go, hey, I wanted to go take something up new. Or Diane even saying, hey, I'm going to go hang gliding, right? Is yeah. like, why not now, right? Yeah. Why not now and start now? So I really love that was, and also this whole like, well, what should I do? Because it can feel overwhelming, right? Because there's so many things I can do. It's my time, how I want to do it. And you can feel overwhelmed by all the possibilities. Mm. I like that simple advice of, you know, do something that feeds your soul, right? Mm -hmm. Something that you really go, uh, you know, even the, the, the fact of, hey, if I like gardening and gardening allows me to get connected to the earth and allows me to feel like I'm providing food or if that feeds your soul, that's something that's absolutely worthwhile to do. Even if somebody else doesn't view that as valuable to you, that really is. Mm. So finding those things. And I know from our client perspective, we got a client that moved out to Washington and she says that a lot about, mm -hmm. you know, she invests in her church. She invests in gardening. She likes being outside nature. She just likes being with some of her family and with nature. And that feeds her soul. And that, that keeps her optimistic. 
sick. It keeps her from getting lonely. It keeps her really wanting to keep going every day. So again, those are some really, I think those three good lessons there. We, we keep progressing at our shows. Uh, so I want to wrap up the show by saying if you want more resources or, or transcript of the show or find more about Diane and especially Catching Health as a Blog yep. and Conversations About Aging, uh, you can go to blog.guidancepointllc.com backslash 31. 31. So you can go to 31 and you can find all those resources there. Again, I, we really just highly recommend everybody just check her out um, in yeah. terms of uh, the stuff that she's doing because we think it just really – it's a good tandem from what we're doing here to what she's doing there. So always appreciate everyone's attention. I love to, uh, we'd love to hear feedback. If you have anything you'd like to share, I'd love to hear it, but until next time, be well. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just listened to an information filled episode of the retirement success in Maine podcast. While this show is about finding more ways to improve your retirement happiness, guidance point advisors mission is to help our clients create a fulfilling retirement. We do financial planning so that people can enjoy retirement and align their monetary resources to their goals. If you're wondering about your own personal success, we invite you to reach out to us to schedule a 45-minute listening session. Our advisors will have a conversation with you about your goals, your frustrations, and your problems. Make sure you check out Guidance Point Advisors on our blog, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can always check out more episodes of this podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And of course, keep on finding your retirement success.